and I was reading one uh, blog guy that was talking about what he was doing this year. He was not, not going to watch any television until after Easter. And I thought, wow. <laughs> you know, one hand I go, that's, that's a big deal. On the other hand, how many Christians do I know that could give up the TV for 40 days? You know, um, in, interesting thing. So that, today's a really significant day. A lot of things going on today. And I hope that uh, you're blessed in the middle of it. I'm thankful that we are saved by grace and faith alone and Christ alone. Amen and amen. All right. Life of Messiah. Here we go. We're going to be in John chapter 5 today. Last week, we spent the entire evening discussing the foundational background of this particular story in the life of the Messiah. And on Wednesday nights, we look at all four gospel accounts using... Uh, coming from the Jewish perspective. Uh, tonight's account, the story we're reading, is only recorded in the Gospel of John, and we find it located in the early part of Jesus' ministry. And it, it, we are told in John chapter 5 of the healing of a, of a paralyzed man. And we saw, as we read last week, the, the basic gist of the story, that uh, we are told in verse number one, it was a feast of the Jews, probably Passover, and that also it was the Sabbath day, which made it a high Sabbath day, that this was not only just any Sabbath day, but it was one that occurred during Passover. So a very significant day, and last week we discussed in depth why the Sabbath, and to this day in Orthodox Judaism, is still considered one of the most holy things and the thing that has separated them uh, from every other group for thousands of years uh, was their adherence to the Sabbath. And so we looked at that and today we're going to pick things up and today we're going to look at mainly our focus is going to be on the physical healing of the lame man. So in your Bibles, John chapter 5, uh, let's look at verses 1 to 4. After this was the feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is in the Hebrew Hebrew tongue, Bethsaida, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. So we're introduced of the background of the Sabbath day during the Passover, and it's at one of the pools around Jerusalem. Uh, most people believe this was the pool, the pool at Bethesda was the pool that was used to supply the, the temple with water. So it was a very significant one, close to the temple area. Matter of fact, one of the, one of the commentaries I read when I was studying this was, was mentioning that some archaeological evidence has been found of this pool. Do you know, Pastor Danny, have they found this? I think they, they found this pool and evidence of five different porches, which simply mean that around this pool would have been like big, tall columns with a roof over it, which is probably another reason this was a great place to try to wait for the water to move because you were underneath at least some kind of housing, you know, some kind of roof. Um, but it, it, interesting, uh, the archaeology study is fascinating. But it's all, we're also told that at this place, that there's a brunch, bunch of broken people here, paralyzed, blind, the halt, the withered, um, that are all gathering together. Must have just been a cheery place, huh? How do, you, how do you do when you're not doing so good physically? Uh, you know, most of us get a little crankier, a little... Um, more uh, depression and all. I can imagine all these sick people all gathering around. You know, it's kind of like uh, Taylor, one of our one of our young young uh, adult women here, a ladies' church. That she's in the ER nurse, and you know, sometimes you walk into that ER, and I'm like, you know, I don't feel real good, but coming into this ER room, I ain't staying in here. You know, <laughs> I'm like, you know, 
can you send, can you give me one of those buzzers like they do at Longhorn, you know, when, when my time is ready, you know? Uh, it, can be, it can be a pretty sad group. Uh, trust me, I've spent some time in the medical field, I, at least on the patient side of things, but here they all are. And we're told why they were gathered there. They're all waiting for the moving of the water. You know, they believed that at, at times an angel would come down and move the water. Now, my first thing is, why would an angel come down and move, you know, swim around in, in the pool of Bethsaida? I mean, I got any, we have no brilliant ideas on that. I mean, I thought to myself, on what planet or what time does an angel need to go, you know, move around in the water, you know, like, you know, so you say, well, the whole point was to, so they could heal someone. Well, why does the angel just then just appear by someone and heal them? I, I don't know. It was a, I, I asked myself these questions. I, you know, I put in my notes because I'm a little deeper thinker than some, but I wrote down that maybe the angel needed a bath. Do angels take baths? Or, you know, I don't know. They come down into our sinful world that, in, you know, come from the glory of God running around in the, in the, in this atmosphere with a bunch of us heathen sinners that, you know, maybe they, I, 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 I don't know why they had to be there, but you know, they believed that whoever got in the water first when they saw the angel move in the water would be healed. Now, the first question I have is, is, is this a factual event, a factual truth? Do you think that, that is the Bible promoting if we were to fill up some water in the pool of Bethesda and wait there and someone like me could wait along by the side? I know, get in line, right? DT's going, get in line. Um, but I'd, I'd still beat you into the pool, you know, although I might be tempted just to push you and just for the sheer fun of it and go, oh, now he's healed. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's true. I'd be going in there with you, wouldn't I? That'd be a big splash. Um, uh, <laughs> that's funny as I say myself. Is the Bible promoting this? Is this? Do you think this happened? I mean, all right, Mike, do you think it? it, it uh, Jason, we got a couple. Yeah, you, you know. You, you, so you think if we went and filled up the pool at Bethsaida and we wait long enough and the water moves that we'd get healed? Or did the angel only do it for a? You know, was there a certain time that the angels needed to? You know, or maybe we should fill up the baptistry and just you know, wait for it, and DT and I can wait on either side, and when the water moves, the first one jump in, you know. Uh, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know completely. I mean, some of the guys, and I would probably be more of this opinion, um, that the Bible's merely recording what these people, what they believed and why they were there. Um, I, bottom line is, though, there's a lot of desperate people there, and you got to consider the patience and perseverance of faith that they showed. Uh, I, I sometimes, isn't it amazing sometimes how, if in fact this was more mythology, and, and we're going to talk about this again here in a minute, so we're going to circle back on this if I can do Jen Pisaki here for a minute. We're going to circle back. But, um, yeah, I know. Blast from the past, right? With our current press secretary, you kind of miss her, don't you? You know, she was a much more eloquent liar than the one we have. Okay, I'm getting, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble. This is going to get demonetized and all the money we make from our YouTube channel is just going to go, we are, we don't make any money. Okay, just, I know. Oh, really? But you have to admire their patience and perseverance. What if this was not really ever true? We're about to find out in the story how long this one guy had, had at least had this infirmity. I mean, I, I, it's amazing to me sometimes how often we'll believe a lie and have faith in something that is untrue 
than we do in what is really true. I mean, I tell you as a pastor, I wish there were more Christians that had a little bit more stick to it And I know I have been in points and seasons in my life where whether you want to say I was angry at God or disillusioned with God, I, I've spent some time there where I did not understand why God allowed things in my life or in the life of my family. And I'm not talking light things. But at some point along the way, if you're going to mature in faith, when the times are tough, you have to adopt the faith of Job and just say, though he slay me, I'm going to trust in him. And by the way, as Christians, are we not getting to a place in our country today where you have to decide if, where you're at? The culture is getting wickeder and more evil by the moment. And, you know, these people stood by the stuff, believing an angel was going to come and move the water. Now, notice in verse number five, we go on our story. The Bible says, and a certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and eight years. So we're told that there's a certain man. From all those needy people, Jesus was there and knew the one he was going to heal. You ever wonder why you walk into a, into a room like this or a situation around this pool with who knows how many dozens and dozens, at least dozens and dozens of, of people with all kinds of different maladies and Jesus heals only one of them. And I thought, why did, and why did he pick this one? Now, Scripture doesn't totally tell us. You know, I, again, I, these are things I sit around and I, at night and I'm up, I think about these things and I pray about these things. And I imagine every person there with whatever disease they had, it was bad enough that they were waiting by the side of a pool for an angel to move the water, was a pretty bad situation. And yet Jesus heals this one guy. I thought to myself, maybe he'd been there the longest. Maybe he was paralyzed as a child from, you know, some injury. Maybe he had a praying grandmother somewhere. I, I don't know. We're told that he had this, this issue for 38 years. Um, maybe he'd been there all of it. Maybe he'd been there part of it. We don't know. But the first thing that Dr. Frutenbaum points out from the Jewish perspective that we're going to see here that to understand this story and in, in its full significance is number one to understand that Notice that Jesus seeks out the man. Verse 6 tells us when, when Jesus saw him. There's a certain man and Jesus goes to him. The first thing we need to figure out here is Jesus seeks out this guy. This guy did not call out to him, was not carried to him like we see other paralytic, you know, carried, born of four and through the roof. You know, they let him down. No, this, this guy, Jesus goes specifically to this guy. So obviously there's a really clear purpose on what and why Jesus is doing what he's doing. In verse 6, it does say, When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Now we certainly see the compassion of Jesus. He saw him lie. Jesus looks on him and his condition, and he knew as the God-man, that the man had been in this condition for a long time with this brokenness. You know, one of the things when I read the story that I'm always, that I walk away with is thankful that God does know. God does see. Now, just because God knows and he sees, this guy had been laying there a long time. And apparently God knew about it all this time. And why didn't God do it? I, I, above my pay grade, I don't, I don't know. Other than again, 
when you walk through this life, you're either going to have to choose to live this life through the eyes of faith or the eyes of unbelief. No faith. It pretty much comes out, do you want to try to figure out life on your own? Or are you just going to believe that, that God is there and he really does care? I know there, again, there's been many times in my life where I wonder, God, do you really care? And you say, well, I've never felt that way. Well, oh boy, I wish I, wish I could be you. <laughs> I don't think most Christians would tell you there are not times that we've wondered. But God does know and God does see. And notice, as I mentioned earlier, he doesn't heal anyone else. There are times when we're going to read the gospel of the life of Messiah that he'll go to places and the Bible says like when he was in Capernaum that he healed everybody that came to the house. He healed them all. Could he do that? Certainly he could do that. But here, he, he just heals the one. You know, you and I live in a world of broken people. One of the, to me, if, if, if as an individual, if you don't feel this way, I'd struggle wondering why you're in a pastoral ministry. But as a pastor, my heart, I want to help everybody. I want to see everybody do better and get healed and see God victory, get, you know, God give them victory in their life. And I look around in our world, it doesn't take you very long to look around and find somebody who's really broken. Even sometimes somebody that you may think on the surface looks like they got it all together, but it's really just a mask. And we're all hurting to some degree. I'm, I'm talking about, boy, I'll tell you, um, <laughs> when people find out that you're a Christian, some folks will just start really talking to you and sharing. Or if you show, like, I know we, a lot of times, Pastor Danny and I and many of you in here, when we're at a restaurant somewhere, we ask our server, can we pray for anything for you? Sometimes they will just begin to, the fact that somebody cared enough to ask them about them. Um, but, you know, there's people all over, and sometimes I feel so overwhelmed, like, God, there's just so much need everywhere. And, and I want to do everything that God calls me to do to do it, but I can't heal anyone. He does that, but you know, Jesus didn't heal every single person that he came in contact with. And sometimes some of us, our problem is we try to solve every problem. We say, I'm going to heal every person I come in contact with. <laughs> and then sometimes we get some guys like me get behind a pulpit and put believers on what I would call Christian guilt. <laughs> you need to do more. You need to do more. You need to do more. There's, there's endless people out there that are broken people. I, I don't have all the answers. And certainly Jesus could have healed them all. But for whatever his purposes, he chose not to. All I know, I can't heal anyone. But what I can do is heal and help be used of God to touch the person that he calls me to? Is there a certain man or a certain woman in your life? I do believe God does call us to be reaching to someone. You know, just to, I wrote in my notes, just to take a look. You know, the Bible says that Jesus looked and saw this man. And I know a lot of Christians, and this is one of my new pet peeves with Christians, is we sometimes insulate ourselves so much in the Christian community because, oh, we need the greenhouse. It's better to raise a plant. Okay, there's some truth to that, but if you leave it in the greenhouse all the time, let the winds blow and the cold come, and it'll die real quick. Is, we, we, we get real comfortable, and we don't want to look at the ugliness sometimes or the brokenness. 
people, the Christians are, well, oh, I have enough problems of my own. Well, I'm happy for you. But as a Christian, as a, as a child of God, don't you think that God, that, 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 that he put us here to be his hands and his feet, to love people? Do you know anybody that's broken? And I look around today. Yeah. Now, I have to be real careful. For, this is just me personally because of my, I'm a very passionate individual. Any of you know me well know, you know, I, I am. You know, I, there's people say, well, you need to watch this thing about abortion. I don't need a whole lot for it to really trigger me because it's always right there. The atrocity of what we are doing to unborn babies, the vile violence and most Americans and I know right now apparently the, 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 the winds of the American public are fickle and you know we're losing ballot measures in states we shouldn't be and things like that and you know Americans want you know like Bill Clinton you know abortion safe legal and rare you know kind of thing you know but I would like you know what I think if you're going to vote on the abortion issue why don't we all be required to watch one we don't want to look at it because it's real ugly. Um, I don't think it'd be the vote would be that close if we made most average Americans. And even the reason we lose is not so much the world and what it's the Christian community where the problem lies. And when churches like ours talk about it, you know, oh, you're getting, you know, you're social, you're, you're too into politics. We just need to be winning people to Jesus. Yes, I want to win people to Jesus, but I also want to save babies. You know, the evil of human trafficking. That is not something happening on distant shores. It happens in Prattville. There's homelessness issues. There are people that are hurting with cancer. I know the times I've been called to go to children's, and now it's much harder since COVID to get into those floors than it used to be. But back in the day when I was up there with Alex, many of you remember Alex, uh, one of our teenagers that went home to be with the Lord from cancer, going to visit him there at Children's and going up down that hallway with kids with cancer. Is that where I wanted to be in terms of my flesh? You know, I wanted to run away. I want to hide. I want to pretend it's not really there, but it is there. Uh, there's a lot of hurt. Anyway, Jesus looks at it, and he, but yet he's chosen in his divine purposes to heal this one man. And the second thing Dr. Frutenbaum points out is that Jesus does not demand any faith from the man. This is also very unusual when you read this story. There's no demand for faith. And I remember when I used to read this story, this is one that used to really, I used to really wrestle with this particular story uh, until I came to it from the Jewish perspective. And thank you, Dr. Arnold, Dr. Frutenbaum, for helping me. Um, he, God doesn't, he doesn't demand any faith. Jesus does not at all. Matter of fact, so how do you know that? Well, um, look at verse number seven. When we go on in the story, the impotent man answers Jesus. When Jesus will thou be made whole, the, the man answered him, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool. But when I am come, another steppeth down before me. Notice how he addresses Jesus. Sir, sir. Why did he call him sir? Because he doesn't know who he is. <laughs> he doesn't know his name. He, doesn't know, he just knows he's a sir. Ever been called a sir or a ma'am? The first time you know when you're getting old, I find that women tend to take more offense to that. Although we move down south here, everything's ma'am. 
You know, we love that about the South. That's why you should live here. We still have a little bit of morals in our, you know. But Jesus, this man just says, sir, you don't know who he is. And instead of really answering Jesus' question, do you want to be made whole? The man begins to explain why he's not yet been healed. You know, the man, even when Jesus says, do you want to be made whole? Instead of just saying, yes, I do. He tells, telling Jesus why he has, he's making excuses. And ultimately the man is still trusting in the mythology, or even if it was true of helping himself get into the water or somebody help him. Imagine how disappointing it would be if, if in fact the angel came and you kept watching other people getting healed. You know, I don't know, it's pretty bad, but I'm personally, as I mentioned earlier, I'm curious if anyone had ever actually been healed by an angel moving, moving the water. Bible doesn't tell us. I'm just personally curious. One day we get to heaven, maybe the Lord will let me know what, you know, this, was this a real event? Was it just, I, I don't know. Um, people say, well, no, God couldn't do that. You read the Old Testament. God healed people in some unusual ways every now and then. Even Jesus, remember when he spit on the ground the one time? We're going to study that. When we get to it and rub the, rub the spittle in the guy's eyes. That's a little different, you know. Um, sometimes God does things in un unusual ways. I, you know, I don't know. I thought to myself, could it be satanic power? Does Satan have enough power to heal someone from an earthly type disease? I'm, I don't, this is not a trick question. I don't know the answer to this. I'm hoping that some, you know, my wiser, all you folks in here are wiser than me. Anybody, you think he's transformed into the angel of light? We know he has a lot of power. We, when you read it now, I know it's a book of Revelation. Some really crazy things happen. I, I don't know uh, is the answer, but I will tell you as somebody who's encountered folks that believed in witchcraft and some of that stuff, which you should not mess with, but there are some strange things that happen. You know, I don't know. Um, it was it strange fire, so to speak, as in, was in Leviticus. I, I don't know, um, but it seems like something must have happened at some point in time to have so many people laying there for years hoping for a miracle. Now, I would say my skeptic side of me says, is that not just like Satan to do just enough of a false light to give people? <laughs> A false hope. Uh, maybe, maybe it is. Uh, it's sad today when you ever desperate people they they want to be healed, and when you get a desperate person that wants to be healed, you know, if you had the person you love most in his life that had some kind of cancer, uh, you know, a, 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 a one of those aggressive kind of cancers, what would you do to get them healed? If I persuaded you that because of my magnanimous Christian giftedness that I could pray over and put my hands on your family and make them better, but I just need this, this, and this before I do it. It's so sad and so evil when modern-day faith healers sell miracles and prey on desperate people. Well, uh, this is going to be an edgy one, you know, but here, you know, I'm sure he'll, he won't like this, but that's okay. Um, you know, I think Benny Hinn is a crick, a crook, crick and a crook. He's a crick and a crook. You know, I don't know if the man's saved. I tend to doubt it. You, you, you read the, the inside scoop 
and the things of the money that comes in the, to his crusades? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars? Why? Because there's some desperate people that want a miracle and oftentimes are, you know, never come. Matter of fact, I wrote in my notes. I'm really curious to this. Um, does anybody know anybody that went to some kind of faith healing event that permanently was healed? And this is not a trick question. I'm not going to like, oh, you're a liar. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, because people say, do you believe that God still heals? Yeah, I, I'm not a cessationist. I believe that God still does use the gift of healing and that it can happen. Um, but I, I was just curious. Anybody, anybody experience that or whatever? I, you know, uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they pushed you out the door? Yes. Yes. In, yeah. DT said he went someplace on Montgomery's one years ago to a faith healer. And yeah, what I'm telling, what I'm saying is how it works. It's a. Uh, you know, it, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's really sad when people are hurting so much, you know, but Jesus asked nothing of this man. He just asks him, do you want to be healed? And this man gives no indication that he's even considering that Jesus could heal him. So clearly he has no faith in Jesus. I mean, he doesn't even say, oh, I think you can do it. He starts telling him why he can't, can't get to the water, blah, blah, blah. But we need to close out tonight because we're out of time. But verse eight and nine um, Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath day. And so Jesus says, Take up your bed and walk. And can you imagine this guy laying there going, Who is this, sir? <laughs> you know, who is this guy? Now, some of the commentaries that I read, and if you read most, many of the mainline commentaries that are in your local Christian bookstore or online, they're going to tell you that um, this guy demonstrated faith by getting up that that was his demonstration of faith, that he got up. Um, I have a problem with that because the guy had no idea in whom to be placing faith. <laughs> I believe in the stranger, sir. You know, that's right. Who is Place faith in whom? Jesus does not say, I am the Messiah, or the Messiah says unto thee, rise up and walk. Doesn't say that. And then the question is, well, why did the man get up? Well, verse 9 says, immediately the man was made, made whole. When Jesus said to be made whole, it was no casual, partial, took two weeks. It was immediate. I personally think if he was some kind of paralyzed guy, he hadn't felt his legs and his feet in 38 years. And all of a sudden he's getting this, woo, this, and he knew that all of a sudden my legs are working. And what does he do? He responds and he gets up and he knew he was healed and uh, he does exactly what this amazing stranger told him to do. You know, take up your take up your bed and get out of here. Again, some people say this is a demonstration that saving faith requires obedience. That if you really want to be saved, you got to be willing to be obedient. You got to do this, and it comes. And I'm going. I, I don't understand using this as a as a proof text so that this guy didn't even know who Jesus was. How can this be saving faith? If you want proof of that. We'll get to it next week. Down in verse 13, it says, the man himself says, uh, or the Bible says, and he that was healed did not know who it was. This guy did not know. Now, the Jewish perspective here is really important and we'll be done for tonight. Jesus was blessing this man as well as making a bigger statement. Jesus heals this guy on the Sabbath day and then he tells the man immediately to violate the Sabbath. 
Now, I've got to tell you, did Jesus tell this man to violate the Sabbath? No. Okay, I got, I got some of you who are quick out there. Not really, he didn't. He didn't violate the biblical Sabbath, but he did violate the rabbi's rules of the Sabbath. That he did tell the man to violate, and um, in that day, no work was allowed, which is, a, you know, some, that is a Sabbath thing, but carrying a bed specifically was a violation, and Dr. Frutenbaum quotes some rabbinic writers that talk about in that day, do you know they could only walk so far on the Sabbath day? It was called the Sabbath limit. They could walk 2,000 cubits, which is about a kilometer, which is about a half, little over half a mile. That was the rule. If you went any farther than that, it became work. Well, what if you're a rabbi and you had an important business to do on the Sabbath day and you had to get someplace that was farther than 2,000 cubits? Well, they came up with a thing for that. They said, well, uh, uh, you can only go 2,000 cubits from home. Now, where is home? Well, they must have been Baptist rabbis because they decided that home was any place that you ate a meal from a dish. So if they wanted to go farther on the Sabbath day, they just carried extra dishes of food and they would go their 2,000 cubits. They'd sit down, they'd open a covered dish, they would eat a little bit of a meal, thus saying they established a new place of residency and now they could go 2,000 more cubits. So I guess you could go as far as the number of covered dishes you could carry. That was kind of, kind of the rule. Kind of interesting, isn't it? They're hypocrites. See, the reason the man took up his bed and walked was not to teach lordship salvation or just clear up another spot for another lame man, but was to show everyone that he was the Messiah. See, this kind of healing was when the rabbis have been saying, when Messiah comes, he's going to do these kind of things. So Jesus does something very messianic, and then he also challenges the rabbis by saying, and we're going to do it on the Sabbath day, because y'all have left the biblical teaching of the scriptures and made a bunch of rules that aren't in there. And Jesus says, nah, this doesn't fly with God. And Jesus went out of his way to bring confrontation with these false leaders, false religious readers. You know, it's interesting that the rabbis to this very day still have a lot of rules. One of the books I was reading and studying for this was talking about um, a, a story back in 1992 that took place, in, I think it was in the United States, in a very orthodox Jewish area. And it was a news story about an apartment, a bunch of rows of apartment buildings, and this apartment building caught on fire. Well, it would happen to catch on fire on the Sabbath day. Well, the people, the, the Jewish people in there, they were told that they could not use the telephone on the Sabbath day. Do you know why they were told? Now, I don't know the, I don't know the science behind this, so all you science can tell me, but the, what they were told was, if you use a phone, you are breaking an electrical circuit. And breaking an electrical circuit requires work. And work is abolished on the, on the Sabbath day. But what is amazing in the story is the, hot, the apartment building catches on fire. It's like a four-unit uh, four apartment building. Catches on fire. And all of them are, they go down in the lobby and say, what do we do? What do we do? It's the Sabbath day. We can't call 911 because we break the Sabbath. But lucky for them that in their apartment building is one of their rabbis. So they got their rabbi down there. And they spent all this time saying, is, will this violate the Sabbath if we call this? Now, in truly Jewish Baptist fashion, it took them so long that by the time they made the decision to call, two other entire buildings burnt down as well. You know, that's what rules does. Rules can sometimes really ruin relationship. So, breaking the rules. Sometimes it's best to break the rules. Brock? 
<laughs> Brock, Brock would like to know if they can flush toilets on the Sabbath. That is work, isn't it? Um, <laughs> not, not anymore. Don't we have automatic ones now? Um, you know, um, you, that's what you do. Uh, upgrade your home. Make it, make it uh, only Brock. I'm sure somewhere in some rabbinic district that's probably a violation. So, oh well. All right. I'm glad you all have tuned in tonight. It's been a crazy night. I appreciate you listening. And we will see you all, Lord willing, on Sunday. And uh, come back here again. Hope everybody gets better, feeling better, and be back soon. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for the teaching of your word tonight. Thank you for um, the example of this man and your compassion and your power. And that you are the Messiah, the one in which all the world could be healed of the biggest disease, our disease of sin. Lord, help us to be people of compassion. God, help us to look around us and see the broken folks. And as you lead us and as you instruct us to be used by you to touch lives, may we do so. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for being here. God bless you. Over and out.